At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is baseball show for Wednesday, March 8th. We're not waiting until 2 a.m. to record a post-Cuba and the Netherlands uh, <laughs> recap of game one of the WBC. You know what was pretty cool, though? I was looking at the schedule for the WBC. I think it's on Thursday. And because of, like, how the time zones are structured, this just kind of further proves that time is a social construct. I think China plays at, like, 5 a.m. Eastern and then, like, 11 p.m. Eastern. So they're playing in the same day, according to us Americans. Do you think that's cool, Aram Layton? Yeah, that is kind of cool. Is that technically a doubleheader? No, it's not, which is the thing. I'm pulling up the exact thing because I think on... Yeah, Thursday, you've got China playing Japan at 5 a.m. Eastern, and then you've got them playing again at 10 p.m. Eastern, and you've got Cuba playing Italy at 6 a.m. Eastern, and then playing Panama at 11.30 p.m. Eastern. So it's just going to be like random baseball whenever you throw the TV on, which which I kind of like. That reminds me of like when we pretended to care about the KBO for like a couple weeks during COVID. But it's like, it's more... It's more accessible because the KBO is like 2 a.m. And it I know the, those are your hours to cook. Those are yes. not my hours to cook. That's that's the hours where I'm doing like rough searches on like whatever prospect data I can find. And then what can I throw on in the background for a little bit of fun? So that's that's perfect for me. That's why COVID was like that's where I cooked, man. That yeah. was that was it for me. I don't have to leave the house. I can just stat dive. No numbers are changing because no one's playing, and I could just throw some random sport on at two in the morning. That that's where that's where I cook. But yeah. I could basically do that right now too because the regular season hasn't started, and these games are going to be on at all weird hours of the night. You were the one MF that had fun during COVID. Like you were the one happy person during COVID. I can't believe you. Uh, you know, I uh, obviously like well, a lot of repercussions across our world and <laughs> felt felt for people <laughs> yeah, in a lot you're of right. ways. Of course, of course, but, but, um, good time, good time I was, I was, I was, fine. I was having a great time. Um, I, I, you know, my, my big mental clearing thing is, is if it's not stat diving and, and watching film, it's video games. Warzone was, was peak around that time too. So, yeah. you know, I was, I was having, I was having a ball. Got you. All right. I was stuck playing a non bubble 2k. So that was my issue, but yeah, you, you've got, weird timing i'd say it's more like the world cup in qatar or like the australian open um because some of those matches were at socially acceptable times versus the kbo was not but 
if you stayed up last night at 11 p.m. and went to bed at 2 a.m. after Cuba and uh, the Netherlands went after it, um, Godspeed and thanks for being a massive baseball fan. Today we're doing two different top fives instead of a top ten. And we're almost at the end of the top ten, I promise. They're really fun. We love them and we know how much you guys love them, but I know we're kind of clamoring to do something else because there's so many of them. Um, I feel like Mr. Krabs, you know, ringing the bell. It's like day 15, give it up for day 15 on the top fives. But we are going to do a a couple of lists that I'm really excited about. We're doing top five DHs and top five utility players in baseball. Utility is, I think, where I'm going to cook personally because I've already dished out my Brendan Donovan take. After you let that sit with you for a minute, how do you feel about my Brendan Donovan take? See, I, I kind of did with that take what I do with most of your takes is just like in one ear, out the other. There's no digestion period. It's just kind of like I almost forgot it happened. But um, because you feel like you're important enough for me to be just digesting that take over the last 24 hours since we last spoke. Um, yeah, I kind of woke up at like 2, 3 a.m. yesterday. In a cold sweat. I was thinking of, yeah, just like, oh, like, why would Jack say that? Why does he think that? And I realized it's because you like boring players. Yes. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Brandon Donovan, I would take him. First of all, he'd be one of the best players on on the Marlins. So the team that I've you know grown to 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 hate, but watch more than any other team usually. Uh, that that shows you how good, like how well rounded he is. But at the same time, he's boring because he doesn't really excel at anything other than being kind of good at everything. And playing all over. So I'll give you that one. Like, I think that's a fair take because he gives you a lot of different things that not a lot of players in today's game are able to, to do, you know, like not a lot of players in today's game excel at a lot of different things, or at least are pretty good at a lot of different things. So I'll give you that one. That said, your ceiling is so capped there. And and like if Lars Newbar hits the ceiling of, of what every person on, on earth apparently thinks he's going to be, um, or, you know, you even have some of the other guys in the, in the fold there that I think even a Dylan Carlson ceiling is still all-star. Um, I don't know if Brendan Donovan's ceiling is ever all-star unless he has a ridiculous first half and then, you know, kind of rides that to, to a surprise all-star appearance or two. The other guys I think are, are multiple all-stars in their best case scenario, but you're risk averse too. So again, it's it's an on-brand take, and I don't think it's a bad one. I don't. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, if you said, Jack, and this is really pushing my risk-averse nature, Jack, you have to commit a felony. But if you do commit a felony, Brendan Donovan is the second baseman for the Chicago White Sox. <laughs> I I wouldn't I wouldn't say no, I'm a good egg right away. I think I'd think about it. I probably would end up saying no. Because yeah. I don't want a felony on my record, but like Brendan Donovan is the second baseman for the White Sox. Sounds hot. So he's he's one of the guys that you're you're considering a felony for. Yes, I think so. Well, so honestly, you jogged a thought in my head. And the last thing I'll say on this, Brendan Donovan, and it's an example of the kind of player that he is. He is the missing piece for like eight teams, right? Like, or at least one of the missing pieces for eight teams. Like, how about the New York Yankees? Wouldn't you love to plug him in left field? You know, you talk about the White Sox. Wouldn't you love to plug him at second base? Marlins, wouldn't you love to plug him anywhere? Yeah. Um, you know, like there's just even a good team or or a mediocre team. Like he is a difference maker in one way or another. And I think that says a lot about the kind of player he is. And I already got all my mean comments out at you uh, in the first couple minutes. So I'm going to be nice the rest of the time. That's awesome. Wow. I'm excited for the rest of the podcast. Yeah. Now. Um, all right. Two teammates that I want to talk about real quick and then we'll jump into it. 
on Monday, Jack Flaherty, three innings, one hit, one run, five punch outs, one walk. Steven Matz, three perfect innings with four punch outs. Matz, it's great to see him succeed. Flaherty, that's a game changer if he's good. Did yeah. you catch any of the Flaherty outing, and and what did you make of either watching him or seeing that line? I only watched, honestly, like a few pitches because I think it was right when we were recording show and go with Taylor Davis. But, you know, I, I, that's a name I'm watching, obviously, because even if he's 70% of what we've seen from him in the past, that's a difference maker for the Cardinals, right? And, uh, you know, I think it's it's probably bold to assume that both of these guys are going to help you, but I think one of them can. And and I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping Flaherty because, you know, it, again, I'm not saying like kill Steven Matz, but I'm, I'm hoping that Flaherty is the guy that kind of makes that leap because we know what he can do for this team. And, and he takes them internally. There's very few players that like internally can take you from really solid to, oh, look out for them as a World Series contender. And I feel like right now for the Cardinals, I know you have to consider them in that tier one group. But I'm not taking them World Series contender seriously until no. they they figure out the pitching thing, whether that's you know outside help adding an arm or in the rare occasion like this is with Flaherty, finding an internal option uh, that can end up being a you know number three type starter for you. I know people think that Flaherty can be you know a frontline guy. I think that'd be you know a one in a million chance at this point, given how banged up he's been. But yeah. if he can be a three starter for them, I mean that puts them in a really good spot. And I thought he looked pretty good in what I saw. I think so too. You know, when you when you think about X factors, um, I, I think there are three that really jump to mind. Uh, Flaherty is certainly one of them. I think Jared Kelnick is a massive X factor for Seattle. Yeah, and I think Tyler Glasnow's availability is a massive X factor for Tampa because all of a sudden, if Glasnow makes twenty five starts this year, that is a top three rotation in baseball. And we're going to talk about rotations at the end of this week, but. If Glass now doesn't, you got to piece it together with, you know, maybe that's Taj Bradley's yeah. audition. Maybe it's, you know, a, a little bit more of a swingman type, like maybe Patino's throwing more innings than you want him to. Um, Glass now is a game changer. Uh, Kelnick is a game changer because if he is good in left or in right, whichever one Teoscar Hernandez is not playing, that's a flawless team pretty much, except for Robbie Ray. Uh, and then St. Louis, if they have a, a Flaherty that is a three, cool i mean yeah. they, they're solving some of the starting pitching concerns because that's the only weak spot so yeah, especially man. with Wayno, Wayno has not been off to the bat and, and i'll give him the benefit of the doubt as an older guy you know uh, older guys generous too but like as an old man you know getting going in spring training maybe it takes a little bit longer to shake the cobwebs off but i'm a little worried Wayno, Wayno is not looking that great and if Wayno is not what he was last year all of a sudden that rotation has even more of, of, of a hole to fill there. Uh, and, and also you got to count on Michaelis, you know, being what he was in stretches. Like the, if those guys don't replicate, you got a lot of pressure on Jamont and then hopefully one of Jack Flaherty or Steven Matz. I am very interested to see how a fantastic, you know, a fantastic organization handles this situation because this is a challenge. And I think that they've been a little bit casual about it so far. Well, and can we add that Jamont hasn't even looked good this spring? <laughs> Has he not? No, he hasn't. So, and and think about in terms of proximity, the two arms that are closest, and one actually has prospect pedigree, the other really doesn't. Um, like Tink Hens, great prospect pedigree. He's in high A this year. Yeah, he, Gordon he Graceffo. <laughs> right, like Graceffo, he's in double. Um, you're banking on Matthew Liberator, who has stunk it up in, in his MLB cameos. 
and Connor Thomas, who on his best day is 90. I I'll like say Connor, Connor Thomas. Thomas season, baby. And I hope it's Connor Thomas season. I love him. I think he can get out to the major league level. But the question is, uh, is he starting a game in the World Series? Because if so, oh my gosh, Rome has fallen. Um, so that that's the big issue. One negative thing, and then we'll get to the two top fives. Matt Manning, inning in a third, four hits, four earned runs against him. It was a fastball low and away that was the call when he plunked Justin Turner in the face with a hit-by-pitch yesterday. Yeah. I want that guy to be so good, so bad. Yeah, me too. It's just not really clicking for him at all right now. It's weird because he's shown us flashes, right? Where, like, at points last year, even, we're like, oh, there's Matt Manning again, you know? And and, and there he is. And, you know, he was a guy that I really liked as a prospect and hit a wall. And then all of a sudden, now we're like, okay, he's coming back. And, Man, he he just does not look confident out there. I think it's that simple. And, and I'm worried, you know, from the perspective of not only is he not hitting his spots, not only is he getting knocked around, now that's kind of just like another thing in the back of your head. Not only do you miss a spot down and away, you know, you you hurt a guy pretty bad. And, and of course, not his fault, not intentional, but you got to think about it from a confidence standpoint. I'm trying to, to to throw strikes, and am I not only struggling to throw strikes, I'm struggling to to keep people out of harm's way in the batter's box. Like I can promise you Matt Manning feels horrible about it, and that only stifles the confidence even more. Thank goodness it sounds like Justin Turner. It's more just like surface stuff, right? Like yeah. he needs 16 stitches, I believe, but nothing broken. Um, I actually caught a similar – It was I was pitching when I was 16, line drive straight to the head, um, split my eye open, and, and, it, and it like messed me up for a little while. Uh, but what's crazy is the kid that hit it, felt horrible and it messed him up for a little bit. And I like remember talking to him and being like, dude, it's good. Like, don't worry about it. But he said like, it just kind of lived in his head. So I'm imagining a Matt Manning, just like that's got to live in his head a little bit. And, and I hope that he's able to get through that. And uh, obviously thank goodness, Justin Turner's okay. But yeah, I am worried about Manning because again, this is a Tigers team. Scoobles on the mend. He's throwing five times a week. I just saw that recently, not, you know, in terms of just playing catch, which is great. That's a great sign in his recovery. Yeah. Um, but They've got a lot of moving parts here. And if Matt Manning can't throw, they're going to be leaning on Mason Angler. Watch out for him. Their rule five draft pick from high A to potentially be one of their consistent starters in that rotation. What I will say though is Erod has looked very good. So that's, that's one good silver lining out of this, but the Tigers have got a lot to figure out in the rotation too. I like that you mentioned something positive because I was going to ask another negative question. I think (laughs) everybody thinks that the Oakland A's are going to be the worst team in baseball this year. Is Detroit the second worst team in baseball on paper? It might be. Um, Riley Green looks fantastic, by the way. He does look fantastic. Good. Hit a backside home run the other day. I was like, man, there he is. I'm I'm all in on the Riley Green bounce back. I think Torque's going to bounce back to a degree. I think Javi can't be worse. But even all that considered, how is this team going to be good? I don't see how. I don't see it either. Like, I, I can see a world... I have yet to truly buy into any pitcher aside from Brady Singer in Kansas City, but I'm more bought into their offense yeah. than any aspect of Detroit. No, and I kind of just like what they're – I think they're just a little bit more serious. Over. I don't even know how to describe it. I hate using that word, but like, no, but like I know like what they you have mean, a little bit more of a plan. Which, which is funny because like they're the fun-loving Royals. Like they're the youthful energy. And Detroit, like they don't really have much happiness going on in that clubhouse, it feels like. Like – there's really no happiness emanating from them no. in, in the last like several years, which yeah. sucks. I feel well, really I just, bad. 
I, the Tigers could use a Zach Granke. <laughs> like, I, 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 that, that's the craziest part is Zach Granke is going to be in that Royals rotation, you know, along with Singer and Brad Keller and Lyles, which is not a good rotation. No. But at least Zach Granke can go out there and you know he's going to give you like a 4-5 ERA right. and, and not just blow up, you know, every fifth day. Where when it comes to the, to the Tigers – I still don't even totally know how that rotation is going to fill out. Again, when Scooble comes back, that's going to be great for them. When they get these other options back, that's going to help. But right now, it's Erod, Matthew Boyd, Michael Lorenzen, Matt Manning, and Spencer Turnbull. And if Manning is struggling the way you know it looks like he is, if if Turnbull is you know kind of more like we've seen Turnbull for the majority of his career, and even Matthew Boyd, like that, is that a guy that you can really for sure say will be? You know, giving you competitive starts every fifth day. Uh, uh, Lorenzen. <laughs> Lorenzen. Even Loren- like, yeah, I could see all of that almost falling through. So it's going to be interesting. It's definitely going to be interesting. My, hi, I'm Michael Lorenzen. And my fun fact is I can hit too. Um, I can hit too, but uh, no one uses me as a hitter. Yes, exactly. Uh, my final thought on the Detroit Tigers. Best thing to happen to the Tigers franchise would probably be the Pistons winning the Wembenyama sweepstakes. End of thought. <laughs> Uh, all right, <laughs> let's jump into the uh, utility list. Top five, two honorable mentions. The two honorable mentions come from the same team. Whit Merrifield and Santiago Espinal, both with the Blue Jays. They fulfill different needs for Toronto because Merrifield is second base in corner outfield. Espinal is second base, shortstop, third base. Um, I think they're fighting hard for that starting second base job right now. Espinal has had a great start to the spring. Uh, I love Espinal. I think that he would be a great White Sox because he is a great nine hitter. He has no slug. Whit Merrifield, we know, is one of the best base stealers in recent memory. Problem is, he had a 298 OBP a year ago. Um, I think that Espinal's stock is up. I think Merrifield's stock is down. And I think Espinal and Merrifield are probably going to normalize somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm really interested in that whole, you know, I guess showdown for lack of a better word, because yeah. I think Merrifield has the ability to give you way more. Um, you know, I, I, I think Espinal is a really solid, solid option in terms of the defense he plays. He puts bat on ball. Um, but especially when I, I don't want to re- over-reference this on the, on the podcast, but like what Merrifield's still fast. And, and the reason why he didn't steal as many bags last year was as you pointed out, he got on base at a two ninety eight clip. When he got him base at a 317 clip in 2021, he stole 40 bags on 44 44 tries. tries. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a guy, and I also just feel like he just wasn't running as much last year because, like, I mean, why why even bother uh, for for a lot of points of the season? Like, I don't know. It just didn't seem like they were in positions for, like, him to just go, go, go. Like, that that team was struggling to really do anything offensively, and then, of course, he moved. But – I think with 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 the improvements that we have to to try to facilitate stolen bases, I want to see what Wit does. I want to see if that just encourages him to run more. Um, I, I just think that you can get more from a Whit Merrifield. I also really like what he brings in the outfield. He's a great defensive outfielder, at least a really good, really solid one. And, yeah. and that's the difference between him and Espinal there. So I think I think Merrifield's the better utility guy by definition. Um, but I am interested to see who contributes better for them this coming season because there's a chance it could be Espinal, but I'm still going to bet on the pedigree and the tools that Whit Merrifield brings to the table. Right. So Whit obviously can play the outfield and can play a good outfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, Espinal plays a great infield at multiple Mm -hmm. spots. Like he is a better overall defender than Whit Merrifield. Problem is 
he doesn't play the outfield. And you've yeah. got Matt Chapman holding down third. You've got Bo Bichette at short. So really, that just leaves the second base competition. And and if Witt wins it, you also have Kevin Biggio on the roster. I think it's the Jansen-Kirk-Moreno conversation. You've got a surplus there as second baseman of Biggio, Espinal, and Merrifield. They're obviously not going to move Witt because they just traded for Witt last year. Why don't you move Espinal? Because obviously his price is a lot higher than Kevin Biggio's is right now. Yeah, you know, I, I've thought about that. And it's one of those things where it's like, God forbid somebody gets hurt, right? Like, you know, Matt Chapman, who's had hip surgery in the last two years. Let's say Chapman gets hurt. Now, all of a sudden, you're wishing you had Espinal because you don't really have anybody else that can play third base at a, at a high level. And think about the drop-off from a Matt Chapman defensively to you know whoever else you would plug in there not named Santiago Espinal. Um, I, I always look at the rosters like that, and I'm like, oh, you should just trade this guy or trade that guy. And then over the last few years, I've held myself accountable to this and like monitored the team. You know, I'm just kind of like, okay, how much did they end up using the guys that seemed like a surplus? And more often than not, it seems like guys go down, man. And and you're always happy that you have the depth. That said, if they get to like June, July, and everything's clicking and, you know, Espinal's just buried and, and what's playing well, I think that's where you look to make that move. But going into the season, I think you you flaunt your depth, you feel good about it. And then when it's time to make a move, Espinal keeps you from having to trade an Addison Barger or one of your other exciting prospects, which I think they're going to do it. And I'm really interested to see how that goes. Um, or if a team finally calls and just makes an offer that they can't refuse on Espinal, because I'm sure a lot of teams have inquired. I'm sure the White Sox specifically have literally inquired. I'm not sure if there's been any reports around that, but I'd be be malpractice if they didn't. Well, now that they have signed Elvis Andrews to be the second baseman, I think that pursuit is over. Um mm-hmm. But that sucks because Espinal is better than Elvis Andrews. Um, all right, number hey, five. Andrews was good last year. Andrews was good last year, but do you think Andrews is going to be good again this year? No. <laughs> but with no with no basis, merit, or analysis, I'm lazy, and you can you can just fault me for that. But no. Yeah, I same. I, think so. I mean, <laughs> same. Uh, all right, number five, Chris Taylor with the LA Dodgers. Taylor, he he was an all star. He was great. Signs a four-year, $60 million deal. You wanted the Marlins to get him, and then all of a sudden, he pumps out a 35% K rate. Yeah. Couldn't make contact last year. He must have thought he signed with the Marlins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I-, I loved him, man. And-, and maybe it was a little bit of that, like, playoff honeymoon, you know, because he really he really has performed, you know, in, in the postseason in spots. And But here's the thing, man, is even with a poor season last year, he gave you two wins above replacement and he couldn't have been worse offensively. Like this was a season that was on par with like before he figured it out. Right. Like he has never had a season with a WRC plus below a hundred besides when he first came up with Seattle and, and some people like 40 games. Like, right. Yeah. And some people might listening, listening might be like, he played for Seattle. Like, yeah, he, he was, he didn't figure it out until later. So, you know, I, I think this this is something that he's going to bounce back from. I, I do wonder if there were some injuries or what it could have been, but he's 32. I don't think he's over the hill. He still hit the ball hard. He still ran well. I, I think something just kind of went awry for him. Maybe it was physical. Maybe it was it was just with the bat, and he just couldn't quite get back there. But you know, would you be surprised if Chris Taylor is right back to 20 home runs in a, in a 120 WRC plus or even a 110 WRC plus? 
No, I'm I'm not going to be surprised at all. And the other thing that I think a lot of people are ignoring, and I know that you love Miguel Rojas as a guy. I don't think Miguel Rojas is the starting shortstop for the Dodgers on opening day. I, I think you don't it's, think so. I think it's Chris Taylor. Interesting. I, I don't know because here's the here's the interesting part too is Miguel Rojas was going to play in the WBC. And once Gavin Lux went down, I think the Dodgers said, you can't go. We need you here. Um, maybe that's just because they didn't want to risk losing another guy. Uh, I, I do wonder what their approach is there because Rojas is going to be a better defender, even though Taylor's good at short. Um, but I guess it just depends on how they feel about Vargas, who still is just not swinging um, in spring training, I believe. Which, by the way, is the most eyewash thing I've ever seen in my life. Can I, can I, can I comment on that real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Miguel Vargas taking live ABs away from other dudes. Dumbass. So just, Dumbass. Just and I don't know if it's the Dodgers. I don't know. I don't want to claim that it's Vargas and, and knock him. You can go do that on the backfields. I was just talking to a few minor league guys that are like, dude, the big league guys will come on the backfields and get additional live ABs. Jazz Chisholm was just with the Marlins the other day, not playing with the big league team, playing on the backfields with the minor league guys, just getting reps out there. It's the same game. It doesn't matter. Like, just go get your live, you know, your live reads, your takes. On the backfields, it's still the same thing. Taking live at-bats where guys that can swing away from them in spring training is so eyewash, it's crazy. But anyways, I love Miguel Vargas, so it's okay. Depending on how they feel about Vargas, I think, is is the interesting key here. Because there's a legit scenario where wouldn't wouldn't he, Chris Taylor, just be playing second base and you got Miggy Rowe at short? There's a chance, yeah. I mean, if Vargas like is not playing on opening day, um, then I think it's probably Rojas at short and, and Taylor at second. Um, but you got to remember when when Seager was dealing with his fragility um, and, and he was out of the lineup, it was Chris Taylor playing short. And mm-hmm. that was pre-Trey Turner, too. Taylor didn't have to play short last year. He, he I think he had one appearance at short. But his most common spot in the infield is at shortstop. Yeah. Gun to your head. Chris Taylor's a better offensive player than Miguel Rojas. Oh, yeah. Gun to my head. You don't even need to put a gun to my head. Um, but, yeah, we put yeah. guns to our heads a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's it's honestly I use that term too frequently. I got to find a new I got to find a new one. Yeah. But I got to stop asking people to punch me in the face. You got to stop yeah. asking people to put guns to your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, so here's my thing, and this is why I think Chris Taylor is going to be really important to the Dodgers this year. We've talked about how the Dodgers have more question marks than they've really had in recent memory, and like let's go through them. And I'll say to say yes or no, if you would be surprised if this guy is no longer, and I'm just looking at roster resource, if this guy is no longer starting at this position by July or June, whatever month you want to choose. Trace Thompson in center field. Not surprised. David Peralta in left field. Not surprised. Miguel Vargas at second base. Mm, Surprised. Fair, but he is a rookie. So to, I agree with you, but like at this end of the day, like there's still some question there. And then Miguel Rojas at shortstop. Not surprised. He can play all those positions. And he is probably the next man up at all of said positions. So that shows you even a diminished Chris Taylor is super important to this team because if he gives you exactly what he gave you last year, they're still going to be rolling him every day at one of those spots. And I think one of those positions is going to fall through. So Chris Taylor might be on the back of this list, but he might be one of the most important utility guys that we talk about in this episode. And brother, if Michael Bush is not on the Dodger roster at the end of April, we riot. Mm-hmm. Fair. They need him real bad. Real so bad. bad. And Michael Bush is really good. All right. Number four, another LA guy, Brandon Drury. Now with the LA angels just signed a two year, $17 million deal. Drury was who 
And then Drury was a 123 WRC plus in three war last year. Did yeah. you buy the Drury breakout? Kinda, but no. Yes and no. Like, yeah. Yes and no, right? Um, again, cop out, but um, it wasn't like he was a total, total slouch in San Diego, right? And and through the postseason. Of course, you're gonna get the major bump in Cincinnati. That said, um, this is still a guy that can play a lot of positions. I can do a little bit of everything. And, you know, I'm buying that he is a top five utility guy by this definition in baseball. Like, I, I think that's fair. And, and I'm buying that he's going to be a valuable piece to the angels because again, we talked about this in the past, but like, if you go look at the at-bats, go to baseball reference, go look at the statistics from last year, how many at-bats were taken by Andrew Velasquez types or guys that are either in triple a to start this year, David McKinnon, um, shoot man, Juan Lagares made starts last year. And I know that's like, you know, Tyler Wade was making starts. Tyler Wade was like, there were a lot of dudes that like were below replacement level players. So, you know, I think this is a big upgrade here. Uh, I am interested to see what you're going to get from jury though, because this guy has shown us flashes of offensive ability in the past, right? Like he had a nice little stretch with the Mets, leading into 2022, which lends me to believe that maybe this was for real, right? It was only 51 games, but it's an additional 51 game sample size that we have to reference back to now. And if you go now to his last 200 big league games, he's been good. So, you know, I, I do think that this guy's going to be an above average, you know, one, if he's a 110 WRC plus dude that can kind of play all over and give you 15 home runs, it's a, it's a really solid player. Do your best public address impression. Uh, <laughs> batting ninth and playing shortstop number 22 david fletcher come on man like drury he's not gonna play short he's gonna be the everyday second baseman i think that he's off this list next year because he's on the second base list um but i mean I, we were clamoring for the angels to go and grab an elvis andrews to play short or a jose iglesias to play short but fletcher you know what he made the national team granted it's the italian national team but he made the national team hey he can defend man um I, they extended him, so I think so he got two, two or three more, two more years on the deal. Um, but just just for reference, too, like second half for Drury, one hundred seven WRC plus. Like if he's that, I think the Angels will take that. I think really, that's what they paid him to be. Really happy with that. All right, number three is in Milwaukee, and he looks like he's going to be the opening day third baseman, and he may be on the third base list next year. Luis Arias with the Brewers. He's going to be on Team Mexico. He's going to hit in the heart of the order for Team Mexico, maybe in the two hole. I love Luis Arias. Loved him for a good bit. I know you have too. I know Peter has too. I think the baseball world will finally be introduced to him in an everyday third base role. Arias was filling in at second, at third, at short when Adamas was out in Milwaukee. And all the guy does is hit. He was a Padre farmhand. He gets moved to Milwaukee and he slapped the ball all around. 119 games last year, 2.3 war, a 110 WRC plus. That's him. And he can yeah. hit some bombs, especially in Milwaukee. Yeah. And, and I honestly think the shortstop stint like impacted his war, you know, because this is not this is not a shortstop. This was a guy that like jumped in there because he's capable, because he's a good second base and third baseman. And, and I think that that kind of subtracted 
from from the wins above replacement there because if, if you had him at second and third all year, I think he's closer to a three-win guy. And a three-win season at age 25 is, is really impressive. He's not even going to be 26 by the time the season starts. So this is a guy that's still young, still getting better. Uh, I, I think he's a big part of what they're doing. And one of the more underrated players in baseball, right? We throw around the word underrated a lot. Um, and sometimes we throw it around for guys that are you know pretty well-known, but maybe aren't celebrated as much. And I don't know if that's totally what underrated should be labeled as. I think Arias is exactly what underrated should be. It's just a guy that really not enough people know about for how good he is. And I think he's only going to get better, right? I mean, again, he's 25 um, and, and just playing not shortstop, I think this year sh- should help him a lot. Not that he played a ton of shortstop, but you know, he still played enough there where I think it, it could have impacted him in some ways. So he played 200 innings at short. And I just want to walk you through his career, starting 2018 with San Diego, uh, going through 2022 with Milwaukee, uh, because he's played 800 innings at second, about 1,200 innings at third, and 1,100 innings at short. This guy, for his career, three defensive runs saved, six outs above average at second base, 10 defensive runs saved, negative three outs above average at third base, negative six defensive runs saved, Negative 15 outs above average and short. There you go. Hampered him. Speaks to your point exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so no, that that's that's great numbers right there, right? And and again, there, there's the value of just plugging a guy there that's not gonna like totally fuck you. But yeah. and that's a testament to him being a good utility guy. But that's an emergency that you don't want to have to to resort to. And you know, Willie Adamas is a great player that hopefully can just stay on the field all year. Call me an idiot if if you think I'm an idiot after I say this because I know you already think I'm an idiot, so you don't. No, have to no, I'm 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 nice the rest of the podcast. So true. Forgot let's about see how that. diplomatic I can be about this. Go that's ahead. my that's my idiot coming out. Right, I forgot that yeah. statement. Um, no, no, easy mistake. Anybody could do that. <laughs> Rowdy at first, Bryce Terang at second, Willie Adamas at short, Luis Arias at third, and when you want to get Rowdy off of his feet in the DH spot. Keston Hura hops in at first base. I don't hate the infield. Dude, I'm, I'm the Brewers kind of cast a spell on me because the Brewers are a very polarizing team. Um, and I tend to be on the on the positive side of, of that polarization for better and for worse. Um, you know, I think they obviously have some questions. That infield's not a problem. And, and that infield defensively, I think Terang, I've mentioned it, will be one of the best defensive second basemen in baseball this year. We talk yeah. about what Arias can do at third. Adamas is a good shortstop. And all those guys are no slouches with the stick either. Like all of those guys are above average bats. Adamas can hit 30. Urias can hit 20 in a full season. Terang can hit 280. Yeah. And and hit 10 to 15 and steal bags. Like I think a lot of people will be surprised. Like if we did like infield war, that one's going to be up there more than people think. I would, I want an upgrade at first base, but also don't forget Brian Anderson. Like he's going to rove around there. I I know we joke about him, He's a guy that's had three win seasons. Like he's a guy that hits the ball hard and is versatile and plays good defense. And honestly, with a good year, it could be an honorable mention on this list next year. And I wouldn't be shocked. For sure. Uh, look out for BA in a hitter friendly ballpark going from Marlins Park to there. If he stays healthy, that's another guy out there that can help them. I love it. All right. Number two, Hassan Kim with the Padres. And Kim was the shortstop last year. And he could have been on the shortstop rankings, I think is an honorable mention. He <laughs> sorry, he probably doesn't hit enough to break those, but I mean, Kim was at short last year and he's going to be at second this year. And he was at third in his first year when Machado was out. Like he does everything. He's played 166 games at short, 
the majority coming last year, 47 games at third, 21 games at second in his two years stateside. His first year, he was dreadful offensively. But last year, a 105 WRC plus and a sub 20% K rate, he walked 9% of the time. That results with how good of a defender Kim is in a 3.7 war. Hassan yep. Kim, if he plays a full year, especially at second base, where I think we think he's going to eat, could yeah. be a four-win oh, yeah. player. I I would take over three and a half this year, 100%. It wouldn't blink, really, honestly. Uh, between the defense and the offensive improvements we saw, 109 WRC plus in the second half, and, and could just continue to get better as the season went on. <laughs> He, he's uh, at worst, I think, a league average hitter. I think he's a slightly above average hitter now as he continues to, to get more acclimated and get better. He's a 3.7 F4 guy last year uh, who got better as the year went on. Gives you speed. He gives you just enough power. He doesn't strike out. And then we talked about the glove. I do wonder, like, I wanted to look at, at his time in, in Korea and, and if he played, like, anywhere else. He moved around. Obviously, he mostly played shortstop because most of the time he was the best player on his team or one of. Right. Uh, but like, I do wonder if they're in a certain kind of pinch, would they ever consider throwing Hassan Kim in the outfield? Like, would he be capable out there? Uh, because I feel like this is the kind of guy that you could just put him somewhere and he's going to find a way to, to be able to make it work. That said, at second base, filling in at, at short when needed, if needed, that's this is just a really good utility piece. Right. Like, I, I'd so much rather have carpenter drop balls in the left than take away Kim's defense in the infield. Does that make sense? No, that does. That does. Okay. Um, Which is why they were so willing to move off Tatis at short, because the same argument that you're making, right? Tatis is the best player on the field when he's there. You know, Juan Soto and Machado might be going crazy and, and that might not be the case, but Tatis pretty much every time in his life, he's the most talented player on the field when he's playing the game. Yeah. Why do you move that guy from the position that he plays? because you have somebody that is an objectively exponentially better defender there. And that's Kim five defense. So he played 148 innings at second base in 2021, five defensive runs saved there in like 148 innings. Yeah. That's insane. Like that puts him on pace to probably lead the league yeah. in defensive run saved. And then even at third base, you know, the last two seasons combined six defensive run saves and then a shortstop the last two seasons combined 19 defensive run saves. So it's, it's just this simple. No matter where you put him in the infield, you have an above average defender there at least and probably a plus defender. A, a great defender, I think, at every spot. Now, I almost think you're doing his arm a disservice by moving him to second base because he's got a hose. But you know what? You don't have Xander Bogarts if you can't promise him shortstop. Yeah, exactly, which is unfortunate because I do think that you know they're technically better off that way. But sometimes you just got to let your superstar be the, the shortstop, just like in Little League, you know, yeah. and just, just let it be. <laughs> these games aren't so different you know yeah um, no. yeah all right uh number one and this was really tight between kim and number one but it is donovan and we've already talked about donovan here uh it, it's really hard to argue with a 394 obp impossible and when you look at utility like i think the reason we gave donovan this edge is because kim was a shortstop last year he was you know kind of all over in 21 but he'll be the second baseman this year donovan was in his rookie year, in which he won the utility gold glove, the first one ever handed out, 38 games at second, 31 games at third, 20 games in right, 19 games in left, 16 games at first, seven games at short. Yeah. It was, it was everywhere. Yeah. 
It's you go I mean, you everywhere, and you have a 400 OBP. Yeah, that that's the that's a great p- way of putting it too, right? Because like, of course, those 16 games at first, you're giving up power compared to the average first baseman, but you got a 400 OBP. <laughs> like, no matter where you put that guy, you're getting above average offensive production, even though his power is is very very. It's not even fringy; it's below average. This guy's found a way to be productive, you know, despite the lack of power. What's crazy is he's another Ty France effect guy. Um, if you go look at his minor league stats, he has hit at every single stop, every single stop. He's never had a year in the minor leagues where he struck out more than 20%. He never had a year in the minor leagues where he walked less than 10%. He never had a year in the minor leagues where he had a WRC plus below 127. Like (laughs) this guy has hit everywhere he has gone. And for whatever reason, he was incredibly overlooked. This guy should have been a top 100 prospect just based on his versatility and his just track record of hitting, but he wasn't. And he slipped right through the cracks with that Ty France effect of just not offering enough crazy tools. Well, guess what? He hedges that by getting on base with the best of them, never striking out, playing wherever you want to play him, and and just putting bat on ball. Like that's, that's just a really, really good player. If he's able to tick up to closer to 400 in the slugging department, I don't know if he will ever be able to do that. I mean, then he's looking like a, you know, potential almost all-star there. But even if he's this every single year, exactly 281, 394, 379, which by the way was 29% above average if you look at WRC plus, he's going to be one of the better all-around utility guys in baseball, probably the best utility guy in baseball every single year. And I think he F war doesn't do him justice because he got thrown into some spots that he has barely played and, and maybe didn't play as phenomenally in the outfield as, as maybe he will this year. And I think he'll get better and better in the outfield. Um, but the F war, this is one of those where you got to throw war out the window because he is, he is better than whatever the war says, because he was literally just the like cleanup duty, no matter where you needed him at any point and, and found a way to, to make it happen and, and be helpful to his team. Yeah. A hundred percent. He makes boring sexy. That's my final line on Donovan. Yes. Um, all right, so that's top five utility. Again, two honorable mentions, Whit Merrifield and Santiago Espinal, both with the Blue Jays. Number five, Chris Taylor with the Dodgers. Number four, Brandon Drury with the Angels. Number three, Luis Arias with the Brewers. Number two, Hassan Kim with the Padres. And number one, Brandon Donovan with the Cardinals. Now, DH, three honorable mentions and a top five. Three honorable mentions, two guys that swap places. J.D. Martinez was with Boston, now in L.A., Justin Turner was in L.A., now in Boston. And then Daniel Vogelbach with the Mets. Ryan Finkelstein wrote up this list. I feel like that's a Ryan Finkelstein ad in Vogie, but um, <laughs> I digress. Uh, J.D. and Turner. Let's start with J.D. Uh, we've we've praised his swing since his podcast started in 2021. The swing is crazy. He had a, a down year last year. Um, he's. I think he's going to bounce back. Not in a big way, but I think he's going to bounce back. Yeah, you know, I, I do think this was a guy that was just banged up, you know, and, and with with injuries that do kind of impede the swing. And he's a very like handsy guy. Um, I, I I'm I'd be shocked if if JD Martinez doesn't hit this year, right? They're not asking him to play the outfield. He's 35. Yeah, I don't think he's over the hill. He's still hitting the ball hard. Uh, and even last year, like in a down year, a 119 WRC plus, right? This guy still slashed 275, 341, 448. Yeah. 
that's pretty darn good. So even if he's between his 2021 and 2022 season, that's still one of the better DHs in baseball. And he's going to be in a better lineup, you know, and he's just going to have more opportunities with runners aboard. He's going to get pitched to a little bit more. Um, I, I hope he plays well because this is somebody that I've just really enjoyed watching him grow into at his peak, one of the best power hitters in baseball. I mean, don't forget he had 45 home runs in 2017. Cause he lifts. He's not an exit velo darting. 167 WRC plus in 2017 and a 170 WRC plus in 2018. We haven't seen many guys produce back-to-back seasons like that um, that aren't considered among the best hitters in the game. And, and he's too good to not age well. So I don't think this is him like on, on the downtick. I do think he bounces back. Right. And, and he's not an exit velo guy at all. He is. Um, and we were just talking to Taylor Davis about this on show and go, both of us um, go listen to that. We talked kind of about prospect pedigree. And uh, I think it was right before we started recording, we were talking about Chris Bryant. He said, you know, his BP, it's not it's not like the eye popping BP that you see from guys that hit 500 foot home runs during batting practice. But uh, Taylor said it best. He finds a way to hit the ball five feet over every fence. Yeah. And that feels very J.D. Martinez. A hundred percent. And I think that's when you don't have that freak freak power. When you have an injury like a back injury, that's that's bothering you, which I think was the case for him. And it was adductor back. And then an undisclosed injury. Like if if that impacts your power a little bit, all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're going to see that downtick a lot more than maybe the average power hitter who's not totally himself like a Mike Trout, but he's still able to kind of just hit it hard enough to get over the wall. Uh, with a guy like JD, might feel it a little bit more in terms of the power output. And I think we saw that last year. Yeah. Justin Turner, the next honorable mention, uh, 37 year old at the time, now 38 year old Justin Turner. Post All Star break, put up a 152 WRC plus. <laughs> he slashed 319, 386, 503. Uh, again, 16 stitches in his face after Matt Manning hit him with a fastball. But um, if if he is unfazed by this, there's a chance that this is a steal of a deal for Heim Bloom and the Red Sox. I think it will be a steal of a deal and, and obviously hope he's, he's okay. And, and, and has a quick recovery. I, I think this is the, he's just seems like the kind of guy to like go right back at it. Remember Kevin Pillar? Like, I feel yeah. like he's cutting the similar cloth, like hitting the face, just right back as soon as possible. And, and just fearless. I, I do see Justin Turner as that kind of guy. Uh, the second half was phenomenal because we were wondering kind of, is, is this guy cooked, <laughs> you know, at 37 and, and the way he looked in the first half, but clearly he he just was a little off with his timing or whatever it may be. And, and obviously he's got a huge leg kick. So if things are a little bit off, maybe he he can be a little bit more susceptible to, to that kind of stretch. But we've never really seen him have that kind of stretch. So it was interesting. But to bounce back from that and have the, the second half that he had where you know you mentioned the WRC, but he hit 320. Like he slugged 500. And now you're plugging him in one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks. Like couldn't you just see him playing pepper with the green monster? Yes. all day long like yeah. i i think he's gonna do that and i think he's gonna be one of the better hitters in that lineup from the jump i think so too um it, i wonder i wonder how many red sox people said the name tony canigliero yesterday it's oh, like oh this on. always happens to us but i mean that that's one of the worst stories uh in baseball if you want to go read up on tony canigliero because that guy was like very sad he was perennial all-star caliber uh, and then he was never the same after he was hit in the face. I I, I am with you. Uh, it is way more likely for Turner. And I think it, it's great to hear that this was like surface level because 
uh, Tony C was, I mean, I think it broke some bones. Like I think it broke an orbital bone. Yeah, no, no. It's a, he was never, never the same. Never yeah. the same. So I, I, I do yeah. expect Turner to bounce back again, really scary situation. And I can close my eyes and envision Red Sox fans just like seeing the, the Tony Canigliaro video that they've seen yeah. in their childhood. Yeah, fortunately, I think I think it's not going to have that kind of effect on on Turner, both no. mentally and obviously not physically. So, uh, no. hopefully, he gets back soon. I, I have a feeling he's going to try to get back there as soon as possible because the longer you wait, kind of the more the more it kind of like festers in your mind. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Daniel Vogelbach, the third honorable mention, righty masher. Uh, he should be in the lineup every time the Mets face a right-handed starter. Yeah, I I, I want to see like a, a platoon of him and uh, Bientos. You know, Bientos, who put on a fucking show when I went the other day. Yeah. Um, that was fun to watch. What, what makes Vogelbach so good is just his, his patience, man. This guy will take his walks. What sucks, though, is when you are a guy that walks a ton and you are one of the slowest runners in Major League Baseball, it, it is a little bit less valuable. Yeah. That said, it's still extremely valuable when you get on base at a 360 clip, which is what he did last year. Um, he's just a good, he's a good hitter, man. It, it's that simple. And I think he's, he's a best shape of his life candidate right now. So, you know, we, you got to keep your eye on, on that. But I think when you, when you produce a 1.5 F4 as a DH who, you know, really doesn't run at all, like he will, ne- he has zero stolen bases in 467 games. I'd venture to say that he may never steal a base. And if he does, it'll be like one of those fluky ones. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he's he just mashes and he gets on base. A 16% walk rate in his career is, is pretty remarkable. I mean, that's that that's impressive stuff and sustainably good. So number five is Eloy Jimenez. And Eloy has played 316 games in four years. Uh, if you average all his numbers out over 162, He's hitting 275 with an 830 OPS, 28 doubles, 36 homers, and 108 driven in. That's like borderline best DH in baseball. Problem is, game totals, 122 in 2019, 55 in 2020. Nothing you can do about that. He won a silver slugger in 2020. 2021, 55 games. They played 162 that year. They didn't play 60 that year. And then 84 games in 2022. He and Luis Robert are both made of glass, and it really frustrates uh, White Sox fans, including yours truly. But Eloy, when he's on the field, you see why he was the best hitting prospect in the game. Yeah. He hit 295 last year with the kind of power that he offers is is insane. I mean, if you extrapolate those numbers, and, and I think it's a fair extrapolation. I don't, I hate when people like extrapolate from like 40 games. We're extrapolating for more than half the season here. Um that that would have been a, one of the better offensive campaigns in in the AL Central, right? Like uh, he would have been on pace for about thirty home runs, and he was hitting over almost three hundred. That's that's really impressive stuff. I, it really isn't a matter of like can he hit curveballs, can he hit fastballs? How is his approach? Is he aggressive? Sure, but it doesn't really matter because he he actually walked as much as he ever did last year. I think, I think he actually figured some things out last season in terms of it was the best K to BB rate we've seen from him in his professional career and in his big league career. Um, And that's even including the ridiculous 2019 season he had. So I think this is the best version hitting wise that we've seen of Aloy Jimenez. I think he's continued to mature. I really liked what we saw from him last year. Uh, And and if, if he's on the field, I do think that he will be one of the best offensive players in that division and will be arguably the the best hitter on that team. So I hope he stays healthy. And and it's a testament to to how talented he is that he's on this list 
given how little he's played um, over the last couple of years. I want him in the dugout for 95% of the game. Yeah, he, I he do needs not. to relax on the defense thing, man. Like, just, 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 it's fine. Just don't play it. Well, why do you want to play out there? Like, don't, I don't, I don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it because when you're not tearing a peck by like fake climbing a wall, you're like running into netting and you look like an idiot when you're out yeah. there. Like, it is, you know, Vaughn and Sheets grayed out really poorly defensively, but nobody fails the eye test more aggressively than Aloy Jimenez. Negative 17 outs above average in his in his career in the outfield. I mean, it, I'm telling you, like, I see all 17 outs above <laughs> average just being relinquished. Dude. So not only does he fail the metrics, but he fails the eye test defensively, but he passes it with flying colors. Number four is Giancarlo. 110 games last year. Hit 211 with a 30% K rate. But... 31 homers and he's Giancarlo freaking standing like he's gonna be four has to be four yeah I'm I'm interested to see what we get from him this year you know like it, it was a down year I'd say right I mean this is he's always gonna strike out around 30 percent but 211 we don't usually see from him right he's always gonna be a, a relatively high Babbitt guy for a home run heavy hitter because of how hard he hits the ball when he does hit it on the ground um but yeah, it's kind of surprising that that he hit 211 last year. Like it almost is like you're like, wait, wait, what? It's also the first season that he hasn't got on base at a 300 clip. It also shows you that he can still remain productive despite that, uh, which is why he's still a top five DH and 31 home runs. He's got 66 home runs over the last two years, and he's going to hit 500 most likely. You know, health, health dependent, which means it's going to be interesting to see if he if he makes that Cooperstown case. But. Uh, you know, I I just would love to see him just give me one season kind of close to the 2017 form of him, which was 59. his prime. I don't think it'll, ever, it, it'll never happen. But, like, imagine that year. He did that in Marlins Park, I think, before they moved the walls in. Imagine what, like, if he if you put that season in Yankee Stadium, he would have hit, like, 70, I think. He had 59 in Marlins Park. Think about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just want to see something closer to that. That's why I was so excited about him going to New York because I was like, oh my God, what is he going to do there home run wise? And we haven't quite seen that. The good news is that the baseline has been upped because he's a guarantee for 30, even when he has a poor year, like last year, how do you feel about him? Like, do you think he's slowing down as a guy that's been hurt plenty of times in his career um, that, you know, has, I think has a, a swing that incorporates his whole body and it's a SWAT. Um, like, do you think he's better than last year or the same as last year? Or I think worse? he's, I think he's the same. Like, I think that's the new normal for, for yeah, Giancarlo. That's sad. It, it, it is sad. And like, I, I'm not talking Max because obviously Giancarlo leads in Max all the time. Now that O'Neill Cruz is in the fold, O'Neill Cruz is probably going to lead in Max exit Vila. Like O'Neill hit one, what, 122 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, Giancarlo, 119.8. Like he's the only other guy that got to 120 last year. Um, but average exit velocity. Three guys in Major League Baseball average 95 plus, which is a hard hit baseball. Like hard hit is 95 plus. It was Judge, Jordan Alvarez, Giancarlo Stanton. That's Giancarlo. Problem is, I think he's going to make contact less and less. That swing, like it doesn't really play for a guy that's aging. It plays it for a 25-year-old. Yeah, no. it ages terribly. So yeah. I think the 30% K rate's here to stay unfortunately, because that was actually not him. You mentioned batting average typically higher, K-rate typically lower. Um, but I think that the 30 homer baseline is here to stay. He's going to figure it out. I just think he's a three true outcome guy now. 
and, and you know, there's some there's some like alarming metrics. Yeah, like a like a seven percent downtick in his zone contact, which is you know, as you get older, you're just a little slower. You swing through pitches a little bit more. 90th percentile exit velocity dropped by a mile per hour, still among the best in Major League Baseball. You don't see 114 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity. That's that's a joke. That's right. better than 98% of players' max exit velocities. But um, yeah, I, I, that that is a possibility. You know, it is a possibility. And, and I was kind of hoping that with the year that Aaron Judge was having. John Carlo would seem more to hit and kind of feast on that. We'll see if if he can build on that this year, if he's made any changes. But you know, yeah, I, I can I can subscribe to the idea, and I don't want to subscribe. It's reluctantly, but I could subscribe to the idea that you know this is kind of the new norm, which is still a top five DH by the way. It's thirty home runs and it's a decent on base percentage. But you know, I still think he can be a little bit better than last year. I I, I do think he can still be a little bit better. Yeah, and here's the thing though, like I think Giancarlo was kind of victim of roster con- or lineup construction by Aaron Boone cuz Judge was hitting leadoff last year. That is true. Like, he didn't really reap the rewards of that too much. Yeah, like Giancarlo's not going to be given things to hit because he's hitting in front of Aaron Judge if there's nobody hitting in front of Aaron Judge. Yeah. So, no, I think that I think that is fair. Um and and that's why they tried to put him second a lot and and he actually did hit better in the two hole. Then he did it. I'm looking at the splits right now. Uh, they put him in the three hole. He struggled there. Uh, they put him in in the four hole. He was pretty solid there. They put him in the five hole and in 91 plate appearances, he was best there. I would love to just see him in the five hole. Have Judge should be in the middle of your order. Um, right. And a good John Carlos Stanton protects him. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I do wonder, I do wonder, you know, what their approach is going to be this year. Cause I understand wanting to have Aaron judge lead off. You want to have that guy hit as much as possible, especially with how things were at times in the second half of that offense. And you want to see him get as many pitches to hit and you're not going to walk the leadoff guy as frequently as, as you would walk judge if he was hitting third or fourth. Right. Number three got to the world series, Kyle Schwarber with the Philadelphia Phillies and, and Schwarber played in 155 games. Uh, it's a journey defensively. He's probably going to have to play left this year, but he is a DH by trade. Um, 46 homers, 94 driven in. Don't care what the K rate is. 46 homers plays. It was second in all of baseball only to judge. And he's proven that he'll remain productive no matter how high the K rate is. <laughs> like that, I think that's that's more than proven, right? Like this guy's going to walk a ton. He's rarely going to miss a hanger, and he's going he's gonna to hit you just – 30 to 40 home runs basically every single year. Um, Schwarber has become one of the most consistent power hitters, I think, in baseball. And he and he also hedges the swing and miss with one of the lower chase rates you're going to see. And it's it's just that simple. He's got the recipe down. If I'm not mistaken, it was the 2017-18 offseason that Kyle Schwarber like changed his life and changed his career because he was a beefy boy, right? He was like, big burly man and then he made like a diet and exercise change and he looked like he was carved out of what's the stone i'm having a brain fart right now marble yeah marble carved out of marble marble spongebob thing right um but he looked sculpted right and you know he said like a lot of it was you know watching what i eat especially post game like these post game spreads are so caloric like they just sit in your gut while you sleep like you know, might as well eat something a little bit better. And he transformed his body. That was after 30 homers in 129 games, but he hit 211. He hit 218 this past year, but the power production has always been there, man. I mean, it was 
26 in 2018, 38 and 19, 11 in 2020, which was equivalent to 30, 32 yep. in 2021. And here we are, 46 leading the National League in 2022. And oh, by the way, guy's been on the field 113 yep. games in 2021, but 59 out of 60 in 20. Since he made that diet change, 137 in 2018, 155 in 2019, and 155 in 2022. Changed Swipe. his life. Swipe 10 bags last year. Low key. Sneaky. 10 for 11. 10 for 11. Um, th That short porch in right field in Philadelphia is just so perfect for him too. Like I, he could probably pop a ball up and, and it gets out of there. And he, he uses the whole field well too. So like he, and he can go out the other way there. It's a perfect stadium for him. Uh, I, I think if he's in the DH role, he might even be even more consistent offensively. Uh, and again, I think you mentioned like he's probably going to have to play in the field a bit more. But last year, his third season with a with a uh, slugging percentage above 500, it's pretty damn good. And with the shift limitations, this is probably a guy that's going to see the batting average jump up a little bit. Uh, 240 BABIP last year. He's a 268 BABIP guy for his career. I'd imagine that we'll see that BABIP tick up a little bit. And that could mean he's closer to a 230 hitter. That changes everything because if he's closer to a 230 hitter, he's closer to a 340 on base guy. And you know he's going to slug 500. That's going to be a pretty impactful. He might somehow up his offensive production from last year, even if he doesn't totally match the home run total. Right. I, I think so as well, man. I, I think that we could be looking at that 240 guy with 35 homers, mm -hmm. uh, which would be awesome. Uh, number two is Shohei Otani. Just doing the pitching dive. We're working on top 30 starting pitchers. Otani in everything but innings pitched was like better than Max Freed. And he's the number two DH in baseball. So I know it's, you know, we talk about it all the time, but like that, that's crazy to me. Think about if Max Freed hit 34 homers, drove in 95 and hit 273 with the 356 OBP. Well, Max Freed kind of rakes. Um, I don't know. Yeah. If Does he 34 homer rake? No, no, but, but I do, I do think he, he, uh, if you gave him a full season, I think he could give you like, like four or five. Four, yeah, yeah. and he would hit what two? If one eighty to ten, it's pretty nasty. Uh, no, I mean this guy's incredible, and I, I'm excited to talk about Shohei Otani, the pitcher, because yeah. I don't think there's really ever been much question about Shohei Otani, the hitter. Not to say yeah. that there was question about Shohei Otani, the pitcher, but there was like how we didn't really know what Otani's ceiling was like. We maybe even a couple of years ago could have seen him potentially going to the bullpen. To, Wasn't to Peter going. pitching closer? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like we didn't have a visceral reaction to it. Like it no. wasn't the craziest thing in the world. Um, you know, I, I think it was a fair question given that he's a two way guy that was coming off of Tommy John. And it wasn't like he was straight up dominating every fifth day. He was really good, really solid, wasn't dominating every fifth day. We're seeing a guy that has blossomed as he's continued to tweak his arsenal. His fastball keeps getting better. His command keeps getting better. We're seeing a guy that's blossomed into one of the best pitchers in baseball, period. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. But Shohei Otani, the hitter, kind of similar, though. Like, I did, I thought that what we saw was kind of what we were going to get. And it seems like he keeps getting better, though, offensively. You look at the second half. I think he got better as the year went on. I'm, I'm pulling up the splits. But uh, this was arguably... I would say, yeah, I, I guess you got to look at 2021 was, was a better season with 46 pumps. Right. Uh, but arguably this was his most well-rounded offensive season, right? Yeah. I, he hit 273, he hit 34 home runs. He struck out at the lowest rate of his career. 
I would argue that this was his most well-rounded offensive season, and this was on top of pitching. So um, I think there's a new norm here, and it's that Shohei Otani is going to hit around 270, hit 30-plus home runs. And I think that the question before was, what was he going to hit average-wise, uh, especially after seeing that average dip to like 257 the year before? Uh, clearly, this this guy is is good enough in the bat-to-ball department, too. So you, you mentioned the 24% K rate was the lowest of his career. I thought his walk rate would be really high. He was 15% in 21. He was 11% this past yeah. year. I feel like he wasn't getting much to hit. And, and Otani was getting gypped a lot. Like there were a lot of, um, you know, like those compilation videos of Otani getting screwed by like on the corner calls. Um, I don't know why, but Otani hits the shit out of the ball. Do you have 90th percentile exit velo for that guy? Because I mean, it's, yeah, I, I it's 92 seven is average exit velo for Otani. And he pumps out. 117s, 118s, and and the ball goes 470 feet sometimes. Otani is a, a hitter that you should be fearing. It is absolutely insane, um, dude. Like he 108, is, 108, 108, is, 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 which is which is elite, absolutely elite. Yeah, I mean, he if he was like full time hitter, he's probably doing this. He was a five and a half win pitcher. He was three point eight war just from being a dh which you just don't see you, you just don't see that um and, and i want to see the walks closer to that 15 percent mark i am interested to see how how that looks this year he does swing more than you think and maybe it's because he was getting gypped you know maybe it was because of the way that you know he's been umpired which is really weird like he does get a lot of, of borderline calls going against him um, I don't know if it's because of the way he sets up or, or you know, the way he kind of like leans out. I, I have no idea. But, you know, a, a chase rate right, right near 30 percent, you know, it's not egregious, but it's it's higher. Um, I, I'm interested to see, like, if he walks at that 15 percent clip and hits the way he hits last year, that's one of the best hitters all around in baseball. He's close to 160 WRC plus there. If he can get that walk rate back up to like the 13, 14, 15 percent range. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and number one, he's probably going to play some corner outfield this year, but Jordan Alvarez, the only guy that can unseat Otani in the DH conversation is is a guy that is, what, same zone contact as some of the best in baseball. He was a 300 hitter, 135 games. He hit 306 with a 406 OBP and a 613 slug, 37 homers, 97 RBIs. 19% K rate, 14% walk rate. Motherfucker had a 185 WRC plus this year. Yeah. Um, that it's just a joke, honestly. <laughs> like if, if I could create like a, a statistically speaking, like uh, just a framework of the kind of hitting prospects, like through each threshold of zone contact, exit velocity, and swing decisions. Uh, there, if there's any player that is within the realm of Jordan Alvarez in those three categories, I'd be willing to bet my life on them succeeding as a player, as a prospect and as a player. Like those are the things I'm looking at. And, and, and it's amazing how he is able to hit for consistent contact. It's, it's 87, 88% zone contact while hitting the living shit out of the ball at the same time. You just don't see that. And specifically what might be the most incredible thing is sinkers which we see more and more in today's game. And, and they try to get him to roll over on these sinkers. And, and he, he, you know, I think they stopped throwing them to him because 
I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it. He saw 330 sinkers last year, 98% zone contact. And sinkers typically don't get as much swing and miss, but this motherfucker was, when he swung, connecting with 98 of 100 sinkers in the strike zone. Think about that. Like th- That's unheard of. Dude, I, I pulled up guys that have the same swinging strike percentage as Jordan Alvarez. Marcus Semien, Whit Merrifield, Kyle Farmer. <laughs> Semien's the only one that's kind of close power-wise, but he's nowhere close. And it's and it's nowhere close. Yeah, and, and approach-wise, it's nowhere close. So he makes as much contact as Whit Merrifield and Kyle Farmer. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that, dude. And, and, you know, just for perspective, like some of the best hitting teams in baseball, like the Dodgers as a team around 84% zone contact. And that's including like the, the, the bat to ball guys that don't hit for any power. Jordan is a better bat to ball guy than the bat to ball guys. Then also has more power than the power guys. Like it's just that simple. And then has a better approach than most of the, you know, approach oriented guys. He's just good at everything. He checks every single box when it comes to an offensive, you know, just what you're looking for out of a hitter. And then of course the swing is majestic. And then the intangibles, like it feels like anytime there's a big moment, you know, he's going yard uh, or at least picking up a big hit. And and it just seems like even lefties, he hits lefties really well. His splits are good. He hits fastballs. He hits breaking balls. He hits change-ups. He hits sinkers. He hits four-seamers. The one thing, the one minor, minor, minor blue zone is fastballs at the top of the zone. That's the same blue zone that Mike Trout has, and both of them excel at not chasing. If it's one ball up, they won't swing. If it's a, an OO pitch, they'll take it for a strike and say, locate it two more times up there. Maybe with two strikes, they'll battle more. But if you tug it down six inches, it's over the wall. So you got to live on the edge. And pitchers, they got to be perfect up there. Most of the time, they're not. And that's why you got guys like Jordan and, and, and Mike Trout doing what they're doing. And I don't think Jordan's slowing down anytime soon. It is injured, though. And I don't think he's totally swinging yet. Yeah. I am concerned about that. But, you know, that aside, when Jordan's healthy, it's he's one of the best hitters we've seen uh, in the last several decades. I think he's on track to be that kind of guy. I was going to say, yes or no question to end the pod. Is Jordan the best hitter in the game right now? Hitter. Best hitter. Because obviously player, like, he's a DH or a subpar corner outfielder. I'm talking at the plate, there anybody you want to start a team with? If the game was offense, is there anybody that you want to start a team with more than Jordan Alvarez? After what we saw last year? I, I don't think so. I think I think, I think he is the the best hitter right now in baseball find me a guy that hits 300 while slugging 600 not named like barry bonds and, exactly and like I, I would love i'd love to see the 300 600 like even the three four six how many guys over the last however many decades let's cue this up and um we'll, we'll talk about it you know on the next podcast um how many guys have gone three four six in the last however many years i i don't think there's been many that have gone three, four, six, especially in the last 20 years where we've seen this game just become so pitching dominant. Three, four, six with a strikeout rate below 20%. Yeah. I, I think there's a very short list of players who have done that. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, man, I I think my answer, and like I've thought about it a lot, I think my answer is yes going into this year. He's the best hitter in baseball, especially after what we saw from Soto last year. And Trout is like 
Trout's obviously 40 homers in 120 games, but he's not a 300 hitter. And he's got some swing and miss. Like, Jordan is perfect, I think. Yeah. And and I think if if Trout's 100% healthy and playing the whole season, he's probably the best offensive force. But most well-rounded hitter, I don't don't think there's a more well-rounded hitter than Jordan. Yeah, and it's really tight, but I do think Jordan is the best hitter in baseball. He is the best DH in baseball as well. Every link you need in the episode description. Tons of cool stuff coming up on a whole bunch of other podcasts around the network, including a conversation with Oakland prospect Mason Miller, who you are enamored with, huh? Um, He is minor league baseball's most anonymous 100-mile-per-hour thrower, I think, and he, like, sits 100 in the A system. Um, I'm really excited to talk to him because he didn't even know he was diagnosed as a di- – he was diagnosed as a diabetic at age, like, 19 20 type 1 diabetes and was figured out oh that's why i've been losing 30 plus pounds so we're going to talk about that whole you know just just experience for him figuring that out and how coming back from that he goes to gardner webb in his covid year and gets sits upper 90s third round pick and the rest is history i think this guy's going to be one of the biggest breakout prospects in baseball this year with an awesome story so excited to to you know be able to air that for you guys on the call up. So look out for that in the next couple of days as well. You root for resilience and Mason Miller has certainly shown that in droves. So again, every link you need in the show notes, Peter and I back to talk to you guys tomorrow. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.